Right on cue. That's that's the bit. So, good afternoon, Paul. Hello, Smooth Ben. Welcome to the CBGS podcast, which today is being recorded live from the Bristol Business Expo. At Gloucestershire Cricket Club in Bristol. And what a lovely view it is behind us as well. You will see this. uh, We're going to video this, and I've said to you a moment ago, I'm just going to video this because of the view. It's fantastic uh, behind us. I'd quite like to do the podcast here every week, uh, but I'm sure that's not possible. So um, today... Am I allowed to have a bit of a brag before we carry on? You can. I think you should. I think yeah, you should. Just to share with the, the, the viewers my bragging moment. So um, the ground behind us is, um, is the county ground uh, in Bristol, uh, uh, one of the grounds of Gloucestershire, um, the two main grounds of Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. And um, many moons ago, uh, I think it was in 1984, actually, uh, young Waite um, was playing for Welsh accountants, because um, obviously I was living in Wales, so uh, I didn't have any choice of playing for anybody else against uh, South West Accountants on this very ground. And uh, one opened the batting and one achieved 87. So looking at the pitch was some fond memories because that was a bit of a cricketing career uh, high for me. So uh, it's a ground with uh, quite a lot of history for me. And when I arrived this afternoon, I saw that you were out pitch side just having a little look and that was reminiscing with some memories was it I was thinking about caressing the ball through the covers I thought you were you had that <laughs> you had that look about you just enjoying a little moment by the side of the pitch thinking about little weight and then I knew if he ever was little and I knew why when I came in and you told yeah. me that story it's a fantastic venue we've, we've been here uh, to film and for you to talk uh, the Bris- Bristol Business Expo. We're going to talk more about your talk in a moment. But first of all, I just want to uh, ask about the, the type of businesses that are here. This is obviously we've been doing this for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. And the type of people that it benefits to come here and the type of people that maybe you've met here over the years. Um, yeah, I think uh, the, the audience in the expos generally would be, uh, well, totally, obviously, totally SME community dominated uh, and probably more of the smaller SMEs to be honest with you so uh, you don't see a lot of sign of um, uh, of large corporates although I have had um, six or seven people from the same firm in the audience before so occasionally you get a larger company but I would say the audience tends to be more on the micro to small business side and I think one of the things um, which came in very well today actually I think probably the best I've ever done is um, I actually set out today and I said at the start of my talk that my principal objective was to leave each person with at least one idea to go back to their business and and um, and make it better. And I, and I think I did that. And I think one of the things that, that I've learned is that you don't, you don't, if you, if you attend an event, an event like this and you consciously set out to commercially benefit from it, then you won't succeed. So I think the fact that people could tell that that was genuine. Yeah. You know, um, and I think it works. So probably as a, as a result of today's talk, I will get, I would th- on the basis of what happened today, somewhere between five and eight emails 
from people saying, you know, would you help me with this, help me with that. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a good feeling. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, as we talked before, uh, marketing isn't all about, or, or in my case, very rarely about doing something for, for immediate benefit. Uh, a lot of what I do is to do with affirmation or um, even community-driven. So... But you know, one thing you learn with experience is is that if you do that well and you do it sincerely, that it also does benefit you. And what about the people that are coming here, maybe for the first time, or people that are listening to the podcast, thinking, "I've, I've heard of business expos; they're obviously happening in a lot of places across the country. Would I benefit from going? Is there a particular type of business or type, or a stage that the business are in where you'd say, actually, yeah, you you would benefit from going along because there's people you can talk to, network with." Yes, that's an interesting one, that. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not sure if, if my views on expos are necessarily, you know, the, the definitive ones. I mean, I, I, I certainly, we, we, we didn't go to uh, any expos for 20 years. We would be about right. Uh, we've probably been going to expos, or this particular expo, because we are the main sponsor. I don't know if you know that. So, I should have known that. Yeah, yeah so we are, we are the principal sponsor of these expos. So that's why, for instance, you'll feel Alison is always coming up to me and thanking me for a new soup kitchen opening, or because I effectively paid for it. Yeah, you know, uh, but it's not something that we talk about because it's not us, us. You don't you don't do good things to be considered to be a good bloke. But you know, and I'm proof of that because I didn't know. Yeah, well, you know, it's not. I think people that go around going, oh, "I'm a great bloke" because I do this and I do that is um, they're not great blokes, are they? So. Um, yeah. Anyway, we spot, we, we've sponsored um, Alec and Allison's Expos for several years now, um, and to be honest with you, uh, and I've told them I'm doing it for the, as long as I can do it. They they um, have a lot of love for me, actually. I think which comes over um, in everything that happens, um, and I think, like you know, on the journey, if you look at it from a personal point of view, when when I stopped, when I first met them. Uh, we hadn't achieved clear success. They were the first people in the whole country who actually said to me one day, you are brilliant. You're brilliant at this. Uh, would you talk at Ascot lunch and you can talk about anything you want? Up until that moment, I'd never been allowed to talk about anything I wanted. I had to talk about R&D or I had to talk about corporation tax or something, you know. So it's a very special bond, actually, because I feel... Um, we've been on a journey together. They've recognised me. Uh, we've done a lot of good in the community together. So I don't necessarily, uh, Aspen Way aren't necessarily in the expo for normal reasons. What I would say, though, is uh, I felt very much when I, we did a sort of a marketing review after our experiences in the first year of being at the expos, I think we all felt we were better for it. I think we all felt we were more complete individuals. We're more complete sales and marketing um, skilled individuals. Um, it's, a, it's a very different skill set and an experience to one you would uh, normally come across. So I think it's um, anybody with any sort of aspiration to have a good business, assuming you've got a reasonable product, you know, and it fits into an expo type environment, I would say you owe it to yourself to give it a go. And for networking purposes as well good for networking purposes obviously lots of people that you can talk to you mentioned people that you'd bump into in your talk that would then want some of your time and you'd end up speaking to but not just for that just for the the variety of people that perhaps here 
Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got um, you know you've got uh, a mixture of SME uh, community covering just about every possible product and service there is known to man. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm certainly you know I, I could write a book on uh, do's and don'ts of attending an expo. I think you know, so I think. Um, you see, you know, you can see you walk around, say there's 100 stands or whatever, you know, probably 50 of those 100 are never going to do anything. You know, they totally, totally ill-prepared for for the event, no impact, insufficient investment, you know. I tend to do, what I tend to do is I walk around and I think, I want that. <laughs> you know, that, that per- I, I want that, that, that person's doing something really good. I want that, that's really good, you know. So I think you need... I think to go to an expo, you need to be not shy, <laughs> big time, confident, not shy, um, and and do things like wear kilts, be outrageous, be different, you know, really stand out, give people chocolate buttons, lollipops. I'm serious. Yeah, I know you yeah. are. Yeah. And, and, what, yeah. and why not? And I think I was going to ask for one do and one don't, but I think we've we've just covered that. But certainly, when you do walk round downstairs and you you have a look at everybody that's there and just as you said it you, you go past a few quite a few of those stands and you just have no interest and what does take your interest when you're in a place as big as this with as many people that are here are those that st- I didn't see anyone in kilts but those people that stand out really are the ones that you think oh, I'm going to go and have a little look and, mm. and we know that time's so valuable even even in, on a day like today so you are more likely if someone stands out is doing something a little bit crazy to go over and actually so I'm going to give them five minutes of my time yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting one. I think, um, you know, for myself, you know, one of the reasons why I actually think, uh, I genuinely do believe this, I think I'm as good at marketing as anyone could be. And that's because I have experienced everything, pretty much. And as you know, from my relationship with you, if I haven't experienced it, uh, I want to try it. So, you know, that's why we're going into more into digital and we're going into recordings and videos and you know all the stuff we're investing in um because i think if 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 you are a dynamic business you owe it to yourself to explore the boundaries and then and again the reason you come here to to explore more boundaries and do different things if you were if you were coming here as somebody that wanted to visit the expo and you weren't putting anything on Obviously, apart from looking for the outrageous, hmm. is there any advice that you'd give somebody coming here? You, you haven't got a stand here. You're not showing, you're not showcasing anything, but you're coming to perhaps network, perhaps to have a look. Is there any advice you give to people coming here? Listen to your talk, obviously, would be one of them. Oh, absolutely. No, I, th- I think um, one of the things I said in my talk today is there's no substitute for communication. So um, if you're going to come to this event, and it's not for everyone, you know, some people would hate it. Um, then if you're going to come to this event, talk ask questions meet as many people as you can talk to them share be be truthful be honest um you know don't pretend to be somebody you're not uh you know i think that would be the thing really just go there go there with the right attitude um go there expecting trying to have the best day you can have i'd say and come to this talk which we're gonna speak about now disrupt or be disrupted 
which is it's actually on I need to say this a little plug it's actually on YouTube so you can watch it on our YouTube channel you can also listen to it in full as a podcast we released it a few weeks ago mm. so if you subscribe to the podcast on the iTunes store or on Spotify go back a few weeks and you can you can have a listen to it it says it's titled live talk and you can listen to the entirety of it um, again lots of people engaged here it was a it was a it was a brilliant talk T- tell me about putting together a talk for an expo like this and, 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 and what you're thinking is when you're putting together a talk and you're thinking about the audience that's going to be there and, and everything really from how you're going to capture everything that you want to say but also make sure it's really relevant to the people coming. Um, so uh, as you can probably see my, my uh, slide presentation is minimalistic um, so what I try to do is um, have a visual uh, presentation which creates impact. Also, um, and it was interesting, I don't know if you noticed, Ross slightly tweaked a, a slide for me um, right at the last minute because one of the slides wasn't really fit for purpose. So what, what I found myself doing, if you look at my notes over there, right, you, you can see all that scribble. Well, that's not really very good. That scribble shouldn't be there. In a perfect presentation, the scribble wouldn't exist. The reason why I have the scribble is those are prompts. So what, what the slides do is they create visual impact, uh, they're educational, and they're supposed to prompt me. So as you, as you probably notice, uh, I just talk off the cuff. So the talk today is completely different to the disruption talk of five weeks ago, whenever it was. Yes. Because um, that's what I do. I, I just use those. I think, right, I'm going to talk to disruption today. And... Uh, it was very good, you know, without being, uh, I think I, th- I, I would have said probably the talk today was a better talk than the one before, which in itself was considered to be a good talk. Um, and I think it's because um, I'm getting more confident and more skilled at talking to people. And I think what happened today is, is I managed to get a lot of audience participation. So what I did is I found out very early on who they were. You know, who who were the sort of people in the audience? We had a a tremendous number of business owners. So that enabled me to ask them a lot of questions. What do you know about this? What do you know about how? Do you you feel like that yourself? Do you feel ambitious? Do you feel scared? Do you feel this? And they're all going, no, 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 weren't they? Nod, 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 you know. So I think in 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 an effective presentation, what ends up is you almost, in an ideal world, you would create a discussion rather than a lecture. That's what what I try to do. Because I am um, scared of being useless, or whatever it is, um, I put in a ridiculous amount of prep. Uh, so if you saw me over the last few days, I sit there, I'm sitting there at home, looking at the, uh, look at this other, go back onto Google, look at something that someone said about it, write down some new points. So you know, there, there are things that I said today I didn't even know at the last talk because I'm always trying to be better. So what I do is, is I think it's, 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 it, it's it, you know, one of the tips I would give. Uh, anybody that aspires to be good at something, you're not going to be good at something unless you put the effort in. So I put a lot of effort into talking. So it might look like it's, um, you know, Paul just sits there and he talks for an hour. You know, and it seems fairly effortless, perhaps, or whatever. I don't know what you'd say, you know. Yeah, it, it comes across as effortless, but actually, like probably many, most great speakers, the work has been done before exactly. to make it look that way. Well, even, 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 so I went to work this morning, um, Went, you know, I went into um, Ruby's house, um, gave out my typing because I, I had my um, rugby union proposal uh, to get typed, for instance. 
Uh, and then I went over to Lion House because I wanted to have a meeting with uh, Ben and give John his, um, his birthday present, John Porteous. Happy birthday, old chap. And, um, and then I went home and I got my notes again. So even at 11 o'clock, I was looking back over my notes, uh, sit in the car, a quick scream over my notes. So, um, you know, preparation is everything. But I think if you can, if you can know your subject, and obviously, you know, one of the things is I do, I probably, I, I'm probably as well able to talk about disruption as anyone could be. You know, the fact is, is that I am disrupting. I have disrupted. I have done all the things which are classical disruption myself. So, and I think if you, I think probably one of the things that I've, I've learned, and it wasn't done consciously perhaps particularly, is, is to some extent, perhaps the way I go about it, I almost take pressure off myself because um, most people, uh, 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 you know, you, you asked me a question earlier about, um, you know, what the objectives of expos are. In my experience, and I'm sorry, um, Alison and Alec, if you don't like me saying this, but... Um, Nearly all the keynote speakers, other than me, that I've ever listened to over the years are just up themselves. So they, they, they do a talk, not because they're trying to give anything out to the people listening to them. They're doing a talk for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not doing a talk for because they want... I, I did a talk today and I said, I want each of you to go out of this room a better person than you walked in. One better idea than you had when you started. And at the end, didn't I? I said... Do do does it want at least one person feel inspired? And they all said they did, didn't they? Yeah, it was very really good reaction at the end. So, um, so to some extent, and I hadn't really thought about this before. To some extent, that takes pressure off your delivery, doesn't it? Because I'm not sitting there going, "Look at me, I'm the big I am, I'm the cleverest man in the world. I'm going to talk for an hour and, and be really clever." What I'm saying is, is this this is my experience. I'm going to talk about a subject which is really important in business. And I want you guys to know stuff I didn't know. And that comes across, again, it all links together. Uh, the the um, genuineness of your, your talk, also the preparation, the fact that you know your subject uh, so well because you've, you've lived for it, but not only that, you've prepared for it. You made it look effortless. effortless, -less. Um, effortless, -less. effortless, -less. effortless. It's effortless. effortless. You made it look effortless. <laughs> and, um, Which is a new elephant, apparently. But... It, all those kind of the combination of things that come together um, is that advice really that we're giving to anybody that's that giving one of these talks do your research spend time on it prepare, prepare oh, plan and also be genuine because people do know if you're not and you sit there and yeah, you listen totally. to people talking well I think I think you know one of the things I was saying to a couple of people that stayed afterwards and were talking to me because one of the guys said you know I really what I, he said one of the guys I love this actually he said you know what I really liked about uh, the talk I gained from you today? I found it very inspiring. He said, because you've managed to be successful and maintain your integrity. And he said, sometimes I find that difficult and I've been tempted to stray to the dark side. And I said to him, don't you ever do that. Promise me you will never do that. Uh, just be true to yourself, you know. And, you know, uh, and I've, I've written this in my book, one of my books. Um, if you're a bastard, be a bastard all the time. Don't be a nice guy Monday to Friday and a bastard on a Saturday or, or whatever. People get very confused with that. There's, there's no reason why you can't be successful and be a complete bastard. You know, I know people who are very successful who are ruthless. Right? I personally don't identify with the word ruthless. I might be driven uh, and I, I would be able to make, you know, I, I, I would definitely say you could accuse me of arrogance, say. Um, and there could be 100 people in a room and I would think, and they could all disagree with me, and I would think I was right, for instance, you know. 
not just a little bit right. I would think I was overweight and they were all stupid. All the other hundred people were stupid and I was right, you know. Um, and that's, that's true. Um, so I just think, you know, being true to yourself, whatever you are, whatever it is you are, be, be, be it. And so, you know, that's the same thing with a delivery. So when you talk, um, make sure the audience picks up really who you are. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. Yeah, it's another really good, really good piece of advice for, for standing up and speaking to, to people. And one of the reasons why I mentioned it, and certainly because we're here, because a lot of people do find, even if they are really good in their industry and have got a really successful business, lots of people find what you did today extremely difficult to actually stand up and almost stand up and shout about it. And as somebody like you who's genuine, who cares, passionate, who's been successful, but to actually tell people about it in a genuine way... I think people would be, be be almost frightened of that. Yeah, for a number of reasons, I think. It was interesting. Um, I uh, was talking to um, uh, one of my clients who, you know, uh, we have an amazingly uh, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, and uh, one of the things I said to him, this is definitely going to be in my next book or a current book, is uh, one of the things I said to him to his face last week, I said, you and I have been to war, the shells have gone off and we're still next to each other. I like that expression, yeah. That's good. Well, that's genuine. We haven't run away. We've both yeah. gone to war. We've had all the things trying to kill us, and we're still next to each other. You know, it's a tremendous thing. I said to him, so this is a good example. I said to him, um, I'm doing a live podcast for Business News Wells next week. Uh, would you like to join me? Oh, no. God, shit, no, he says. Oh, that terrified me. It does a lot of people. A lot of, you know? a lot of people don't you know, like that thing. a very successful guy with a multi-million pound business owns hundreds of acres of land, for instance, you know, uh, at the thought of stand, sitting next to me, terrified him. No, I couldn't do that. I'd be terrified, you know. Do you have any, did you have any advice for him being terrified? Obviously, no, you wouldn't I mean, try and talk him out of it, but did no, you... He, he was genuinely terrified, and I accepted he was terrified, you know. If he was terrified and he wanted to do it, what would your advice be to him? I'd look after him. Sound advice, that. Sit next to me and I'll look after you. Don't worry. Uh, if you stumble, I'll come in and I'll save you, sort of thing, probably. Because you do make it look effortless up there, and I got it right that time, the word, when you did it the first time, how did you feel the first time you had to do a talk? Well, that's, it's quite interesting, that. I was very fortunate in, in, in so far as uh, when I joined Ernst & Young in 1985, I think it was, um, because uh, I've always been considered to be... Um, uh, perhaps the only person in the firm with a personality or whatever I'm considered to have. <laughs> um, so Ernst & Young took one look at me and said, right, you need to go on Lecturer's Workshop, which is a, a seven-day wonderful... I mean, it's one of the, I feel so privileged to have had this come... So uh, stayed in a six-star hotel, the Runnymede Hotel at Egham. Wow. Right? Near me, that is. Do you know that one? Yes, by I the, do. By yeah. the river. Um, and one of the things I remember, apart from the fact it was a wonderful hotel, is the um, English Rugby League team was staying in there at the same time. And I remember going in the sauna with uh, people like Sean Edwards and, and that sort of thing. Greats of the game. And um, what was fantastic is, it might even have been eight days, actually. Um, and for those of you, uh, probably about one person listening to this, who are in any way accountancy historians, um, some of you might remember that... Um, Ernst & Young used to be called Willie Murray. Uh, it was a very famous firm, so Willie Murray would have been one of the top five firms in the world. And the guy who was the training partner in Ernst & Young was Jack Winnie. 
he was he was one of the winnies. So it was like um, I know it sounds a bit sad me saying this. It was it was a bit like going on a course with royalty being in charge of it. You know, from my point of view, as being a very serious driven businessman. You know, and um, I think there were I can't remember no more than fifteen people on this course. Uh, turned up on a Sunday. First session was half past seven on a Sunday evening, right? And uh, the the course leader basically said, right, guys, this is what's going to happen this week. This is what the program is. Uh, your first task is uh, by whatever it was tomorrow, you've got to stand up in front of all the others and do a talk on how to do something. It was. So I had to go back into my room. This carried on to about 930 and then by whenever 10 o'clock the next morning, I had to stand up in front of all the other people whilst being filmed by proper TV cameras and everything and do a talk on how to do something, right? Uh, I, I personally thought I was useless. I regretted the subject I picked. Uh, I knew I could have done better. I was terrified. I thought I was awful. Uh, I, could hear, I could hear every word coming back to me. Uh, you know, when you're talking to yourself, you feel... That it's um, you know you're doing ah um, this sort of stuff, and of course it was quite. You know, this is this has been the very much the theme of my life. And what I said is not me being ridiculous or trying to make people feel some emotion towards me. Uh, I truthfully thought I was awful. I was disappointed in my performance. Uh, lo and behold, um, my it finished. They they turned around. They, 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 they about half an hour. I walked back in, and they said right. This is um, this is what we think of your talk, Paul. Uh, we have we have total confidence that you could talk to ten thousand people. That's what. That's what they wow! Said. First time doing that. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't be phased in you talking to any number of people. We think you could stand up and talk to ten thousand people. One of the things they said to us. In fact, I remember now there were fourteen people. I've got a prompt to this. Um, there were 14 people on the course, and, and how I remember there were 14 people because the course organisers stood up uh, before the first talk and they said, I'm going to tell you something now, and this is going to be very true, right? Each one of you will think there are 13 brilliant people in this room and one person is crap, and you'll all think the crap one is you. It's very true, that. Every person will think that, trust me. And, and it was true. And then um, I did that, and then uh, we we obviously had uh, lectures and seminars, lots of personal development stuff, building bridges, all that sort of shit, uh, building bridges out of straws and uh, all sorts of mind games. Then we were taught to do a tutorial, different things. Uh, and I graduated from the Ernst & Young Lecturer's Workshop eight days later. Um, did psychology, why people do this, all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, and I just have to say, it was just the most amazing experience. And um, it obviously helped me in my career in lots of ways. I, I, I then became uh, heavily involved in training at the highest level very soon afterwards and have been for the rest of my life. But what's interesting is, despite the fact I clearly have a, a degree of natural ability, it's only really been probably in the last four years, I would say, that I would now call myself consummate. So if you saw me, because it's like anything, isn't it? Um, if you don't do it enough, you know, so for instance, I am a good golfer. I'm a I've got a lot of natural talent, right? But uh, apart from 
uh, my last summer before I got a job where I spent paid golf nearly every day and I did shoot 72 one day for instance um, ever since then I've never been able to play golf more than about once every two or three weeks so you know I might go round in 10 over one day and 20 over the next because I'm not playing it enough to keep on top of it so what used to happen is if you saw me talking say as a 33 year old man uh, I would get incredibly nervous you know, I mean, this is real nerves, not pretend. I'm not pretending I was nervous. I would be, and I'd be changing my pockets, talking, you know, as I was talking and all this sort of stuff, you know. And um, probably people listening to me would always, I remember, um, so uh, I was very fortunate to work for First Group PLC, I think, I think uh, for, for over a year. And I ended up being promoted to being European managing consultant. So I started as financial consultant and ended up being in charge of the whole project. And it was a very, very high-level dema- high demanding thing. So at the time, what was I, 34 years old? Um, so some of the things I had to do, I had to do things like presentations on foreign currency to Lazar Brothers in the city, stand up and talk to the board of Lazar Brothers about currency management. Um, I had to go to the board of First Group six times a year and tell them about my investment policy in in Europe um, and, and all that sort of stuff, you know? And... Um, I always remember Trevor Smallwood, who was the chairman of First Group, he used to say to me, do you know what I like about you, Paul? He said, it's almost impossible not to believe what you say. He said, the way you talk, you come over as being very honest, almost like more honest than anyone I've ever heard. So it's it's almost impossible other than go, yeah, you know, I believe, you know, everything you say, I believe you. So I, I obviously have uh, a natural ability to do that. It just shows as well from your, your story when you first went in and did that course, which I was trying to get my head around at first, starting a, a course on a Sunday evening. And yeah. whether that was a psychological thing with them saying, because it was a disciplined course, well, actually, you know, because it's a strange time to start. If you usually, work for the top four companies, yeah. time is nothing. I just, so Sunday know. night, you go in and that's it. And You either want a career or you don't. Yeah. It doesn't matter, it's a Sunday. It probably was done on purpose. Yeah, that's Do what you, I mean. And it, You are here because you're a high achiever. You're big on this. We're spending thousands of pounds on training you on this course. So why wouldn't you turn up on a Sunday? And it's a it's a topic for a podcast another time. But I wonder how that has changed. He said that was back in '85. Mm. How that has changed in today's world. And I don't want to use the words. Maybe there's people a bit more woolly and a bit more softly, softly. And well, Sunday nights for the family, and we don't start work till Monday. But you know what I'm getting at there. Yeah, but yeah. As far as you know, perhaps. Back in back in eighty five, it was you wanted something. You had to work really hard to get it. Well, just 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 this is relevant. So uh, probably the most intellectual course I've ever been on in my life was when I worked for Deloitte's, and I went on an international tax course over the weekend. Started, if I remember rightly, I try. To, I, I can't remember exactly. I don't have clear recall. I know it ended on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. And it started before Saturday. I don't remember. I can't remember whether it was two days, three days, or four days. What I can tell you is it was all Saturday and all Sunday. And it was incredibly high-level tax. We were talking about consortium relief group, uh, 10 group companies, international, you know, really, really complex stuff. So, you know, that, that, is, that, was, that was the mentality of a top four firm. I've worked for two of the top four firms. And that's what you were expected to do. And it didn't. It didn't once occur to me that I was there at a weekend and I shouldn't have been. 
perhaps I'm being a little bit unkind to uh, when you, we talk about top four firms now and top businesses around the world. I'm sure there's plenty of people that do uh, at the drop of a hat or planned go along to these things at weekends, evenings, and, and that's what they have to do if you're going to be successful. But again, for another time, probably more so these days, and maybe maybe rightly so. Again, it's a discussion we can have where family, mental health is so much more important that people and businesses are perhaps less willing to put pe- put people out. As I think, I remember someone told me a story years ago. I did a, a I did a UA for B course recently to coach football, and I remember the one of the tutors telling about his experience twenty years ago doing the course, where it was just. You, it was really hard, really tough evenings, weekends. You had to. It, did, it didn't matter. You just had to do it. There was no excuse whatsoever. Mm-hmm. As he said, now we have to make a lot of allowances for where people are travelling from, what, what their family life is like, and things like that. So it has changed over the last thirty yeah, years. Probably, perhaps it has. I still get the impression that in the top four firms, you know, it's a rat race. Yeah. You know, and um, you're expected to get to work as early as you can, and you leave as late as you can. Yeah. And I didn't really fancy that. No, seriously, that's one of the reasons why Aspen Weight exists. We talked about work-life balance in one of my very first podcasts, which is, you know, what you said, you, you know, you've got to have that. Well, you've got to have, you know, I think, you know, to, to end up as a city accountant working 11 hours every day, leaving your office at 8 o'clock, catching the tube home, probably going home to a curry or something and probably having a glass of wine. I mean, I, I, I you know... In my career, I have often um, got home. I've, I've often sat there and actually thought, I don't really have a life. You know, you, 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 you get home from work because you, you realize, you know, you haven't had any social time. You get home at nine o'clock, so, and you know, you won't get up at six, so you've only got two hours, but you haven't, you haven't done anything. So you have a takeaway, you drink a bottle of red wine because, you, you know, you've got to kid yourself that you're doing some. I've got a bit of fun or something, you know, um, and, and, and you know, and that's what it can be like. And uh, and there are an awful lot of people who get caught up in that mouse wheel or whatever the saying is, you know. I don't want to go too far off topic here, but as we've uh, brought it up, is that there are a lot of people that would then potentially work, and this is why you hear about people that work in the city and on these big firms for five years or so, and then they have to do something else because they can't. To, to the longevity of that, if you did that over a lifetime, it would almost be possible. Well, I think there, you know, there are uh, a large number of people where it isn't impossible, you know, that do a lot more than five years. I mean, certainly, you know, um, I, I certainly feel the way that I did it, whether it was intentional or not, I feel, especially now, looking back as a 59-year-old man, uh, I think that my career is absolutely perfect in terms of what I've become. I trained with the, I think it was, may have been the biggest firm in the world when I started, most scientific firm in the world, so I felt I benefited tremendously from their science and their credible um, belief that they were the best and we were better than everyone else. And that was installed into me from the first day. And then working for a more human big four firm in Ernst & Young where everything was know your client and much more business orientated, much preferred that from a commercial point of view. Um, And then sort of going down to Baker Tilly, top 10 firm now, um, getting to work in America, be in charge of training, those sort of things. I feel, you know, I feel that then going go into the sort of more the SME world as a 30-year-old man has, 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 has given me a good balance. 
and now I'm doing stuff on my terms, aren't I? You know, I'm working at eight o'clock because I choose to work at eight o'clock, not yeah. because Mr. Deloitte tells me to. And that, yeah, and that yeah. is there's it, there, there's a, there's a really big and and good difference there to be able to and not only working till eight o'clock because it's on your terms, but it's doing something you're very passionate about and that you love and you've built up. So it, it, I, I'm imagining that it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't feel like work. Well, the honest truth is that's correct. I don't, I don't think I don't think it's very helpful for me to to, to be to, to pretend. So, um, you know, one of the things that can be a bit frustrating sometimes is, you know, clearly, you know, I do have um, a reasonable number of people who care about me or, you know, uh, have my best interests at heart. Uh, and um, but I think, you know, personally, in order to be a good friend to somebody, um, you you don't apply your values to that person. So, for instance, I'll give you a good example. This is one I use all the time. If you had a friend that uh, would hate a fuss. Organising a huge party um, and having 50 people hiding, uh, that is the last thing that person would want you to do. So don't do it. Just because you might think that was great. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, That is not being a great friend. That person would like an intimate dinner with four or five great friends. That's what you should do. That'd be me, exactly. I wouldn't want a big fuss. Lovely lovely dinner at the curry house. So so the analogy is, so, you know, I get... Uh, a lot of people turning around to me and saying, you know, and, 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 and it's a very thin line between concern and patronization and lack of empathy. So people saying to me, you know, um, oh, you work too hard, you do this, you do that. And I think you, you don't, you don't know me. You know, a lot of what I do, a lot of what I do, uh, I enjoy. I don't just enjoy, I love it. Right? I, I love it. Uh, what I don't enjoy is I don't like stress obviously i don't enjoy stressful situations i don't particularly want to do work that doesn't interest me um and i don't like uh doing work in situations where for instance i feel dumped on or um someone's thrown me a hot potato say you know but because because i have a very very clear vision and a lot of the work i'm doing you know is so intellectually interesting and rewarding i would say so, for instance, the work I do at the weekends, nearly all of it is work I enjoy. So I don't really feel like I'm going to work. It would be wrong to say I did. It's extraordinary that the answers you've just given would have been exactly the same ones that I would have said. From all the things that you, you do like, you don't like, the stressful situations, people giving you hot potatoes, not doing things that you're not interested in. And, in fact, through my working career, I remember... I'll, I'll tell a really short story, but I remember when I was younger, I was uh, a little bit lost when I came out of school, and I, I, I left school with no A to C GCSEs. I went back to do them, went back to do my A levels and degree. Oops. But when I left, when I left, um, when I left school, I went. I was DJing in the evening. Actually, I was doing some DJing in the evening, and I was uh, a little bit sort of lost of where to go. I went to work with one of my friends because he worked at a car garage that was was a few minutes down the road from me, and it gave me sort of a purpose to get up in the day and, and until I worked out what I wanted to do. And I worked there for three or four months. And I remember they sent me on a course and it was in Windsor. It was right near the castle, if, you've, if anyone's ever been to, yeah. to Windsor. And I went with a guy. I didn't really have a lot in common with him. He was really into car mechanics. And they sent me on a mechanics course, even though I worked in the parts department. And I sat in this uh, lecture hall 
and it was a, a really old style lecturer and he was really strict and he had a, a, a lectern at the front and he, and he said, right, we, this is the day, this is what you're going to learn over the next three days and then there's going to be work here and you're going to, first of all, we're going to do literacy and numeracy tests and then we're going to get into car mechanics. And I remember sitting there and this was a real moment for me at, at 17 years old and I looked at the clock and he said, right, everybody start and I didn't do anything for five minutes and I got up and I walked down towards the, the door and he said, you need to sit back down. You've had plenty of time to go to the toilet. And I, and I just walked past him and I walked out and I got on the train. I had three trains back to where I lived in Wokenham and I went to the careers office and I got myself onto six GCSEs and I, and I sat on the train on the way back. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to get, get my education, get my A-levels. And I promised myself I'd never look at a clock again, never clock watch, and I'd never do anything that I didn't want to do that wasn't really in my heart and passion. And that's been a drive the whole life since 17 years old, that one story. So it's, it's, it's really interesting when you, when you talk about that and that the fact that, just to wrap this up, it doesn't feel like work. It makes it so much easier to do. And I just want to say one other thing as well. We, we were talking about speeches and we've, we've gone on a little bit of a journey since then. And I hope that it's been relevant to a lot of people. And do let us know your thoughts as well. Get in touch with us across uh, social media mm -hmm. if, if you have any thoughts on it. But we were talking about speeches. And at the very beginning, you, you talked about the course you went on in 85. And I just wanted to say, one of the things that happens to everybody, and it's probably in every walk of life, is you think just like that one person you thought you were in that room, you think you can't do it. And it's only when you get that confidence when people encourage you and say you can. Everybody thinks that they can't do things, that, they, oh, I, you, know, that you, you haven't got the confidence to do it. And it is so interesting when you went on that course and you thought, I'm going oh, to be rubbish, you know? I'm going to be that one person in the room. And it's just not like that. And you have to have that confidence to, to go out there and believe in yourself. Yeah, I think one one thing I don't know. I, 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 one thing I'd say, uh, one of the parting shots for me, is one of the things that um, I talk about a lot. Um, not just in business, but let's take the, the last Rugby World Cup, for instance. You take the semi-final match between Wales and South Africa. Um, what disappointed me bitterly about both teams' attitudes towards that match is neither of them dared to win. Yeah. It's difference. They both played not to lose. Ended up being a crap match. What was it? Three points in it. Um, now, to me, I think that in order to succeed, you, to some extent, you have to you have to be prepared to fail. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So, I think that what was the epiphany for me as a speaker is, and and, and it was such. I feel very proud of myself now because it was such a wise thing to do. I think. What happened, and it was, it was the Ascot presentation where Alison and Alec showed faith in me and they said, you can talk about whatever you want. And I just finished my first book called Raising the Bar. And I thought, well, I wanted to talk, because I talked quite a lot about market differentiation, about how important it was to brand yourself differently from other people. But I thought, well, what the hell? I'm, 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 you know, I found the courage and I thought, well, no one's going to like this. It's going to be a complete bloody disaster. Uh, but I'm going to put slide up first off, raising the bar by poor weight. Blah, blah, blah. And I sat there and I told people about having to drink through the night to get up in the morning and all that, you know. So I came out, if you like, and everyone in the room was like, wow, this is wonderful. You know, seriously. 
And I had more, more congratulation and fan mail from that presentation, particularly with women coming up to me and saying that was so brave and wonderful that a man like you would sit there and share your vulnerability with other people. We loved it. And I thought, Christ, I can't believe this. There were 60 people in the room. They were all really high-powered chief executives. And they loved me talking about my weakness. Honesty and integrity. So from then on, this is what, so now, uh, from that day onwards, I, um, what I do is, is, is I basically uh, just say it as it is with the, the audience. I don't, I don't worry about if they think I'm stupid, nutty, uh, or whatever they might think. I just, that's what I do. And, it's, uh, and I think it's a winning formula because people aren't used to it. You know, and, and, and I had, you know, it doesn't matter how many people do it. I had a guy today come up to me and said, I've been to many, many talks in my life. That was the best, he said, seriously, the best talk ever. That's how good you were. And I said, thank you very much. That means a lot. And, it, and, it, and to get that feedback as well, you know, that personal feedback, that was really, when he, I overheard when he said it, and it was, uh, you know, you can tell when somebody really means it and, and went out of his way as well to just stay behind. And, you know, we... we we always say with customer service, I think that the saying is you, you tell three people about a bad experience and, and maybe one about a good experience. And it just shows as well it, that someone was to, to come up and say that. As humans, yeah. we don't often do that. No, it's good. You know, I think, yeah, so um, are we done for today? Or just, uh, we, we've got, I've got a couple more things that okay. I wanted to talk to you about, if that's okay. Well, I, don't, you know, I don't want to drone on and you no, sit well, there. Sk- sk- been critical, so. It's been really interesting today. One of the, th- the things that I'd like to bring to the podcast is I just wanted to have a look in the week of the, the business news, some of the business sections, perhaps mm. of the papers, and just get your thoughts on a few things that I think, yeah, Paul would uh, Paul <laughs> may have a good opinion on that. Yeah, right. A couple of things uh, jumped out this week. One was uh, an article uh, that I read. It was by Heather McGregor, and mm-hmm. she's uh, an executive dean of the Edinburgh Business School. And she was talking about the need for PAs in a world where your phones do everything. She works in a university that carries out leading research in artificial intelligence and robotics. So that's where it got my interest to talk to you about it. And she talks about the, the first industrial revolution mm-hmm. and using animal power tools and, of course, eventually steam to replace labor. Yeah. Uh, and and she, she then says that we're in the, the fourth industrial revolution yeah. where technology is becoming obviously smarter um, and it is replacing cognitive labor. Yeah. Um, and examples that she used were the, the maps for getting you home on your phones, maybe yeah. diagnosing diseases better than humans. Yeah. Uh, but one of the interesting things here uh, was she then went on to write about how even with all the technology taking over and the AI things that are happening, that actually there's some things that humans just will always do better. And she tells a story uh, about a guy that actually had his, his PAs laid off and, he, and because the company believed that they were mm-hmm. going to use technology to replace them. Mm-hmm. And she went on to say that there was a, there was a meeting she had to choose between meeting a, a big chairman of a big company or a, a billionaire. And she had two places to be. And it was only her PA that had the knowledge and the skill to decide and carefully having to choose one of those because they were only over in the country for a short period of time. And she chose the right one for her. And she goes on to explain a little bit uh, about that. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is, you, you're a great believer in technology and we've talked a lot about AI. Do you think there's still a place for, uh, there's, there's always going to be a place for some things that won't be, be able to be replaced, taking that an example? 
I'm not entirely sure how how um, widespread that comment relates to. I mean, um, given that you know full well that, as I said today in my talk, um, a great business can't be a great business without great people. That doesn't. That means even with AI, we still need people. It was just it, people buy people. They do. We we said this before. <laughs> we said this on the podcast last week as well. I thought it was an interesting point though. She, she she wrote a good article, and it was well worth the read. And I probably didn't do it justice, but it was just it was a nice one because she was so positive about AI and the future, but obviously with that that tinge in the end of we still need that human touch. Well, so let's let's let's, let's just try and make this relevant, okay? So let's let's apply this to the accountancy business. So if you look at um, I don't know. If you look at what, let's give an example. It may be ridiculous, but it doesn't matter because it, it makes the point. So let's just imagine now that technology has advanced to such a point that um, uh, some accounting software is so intelligent it can analyze um, a client's data and produce uh, nearly a full set of accounts without any person being involved in it. Yes. That's not a ridiculous thing to say, I think. No. Right. So, so what would Aspen Weight look like? You heard me say today that in the accountancy business, within five years, accountants will become in two bands. They'll either be cloud-based accountants or they will be advisors. That's what I said, because that's what's going to happen. So the fact is, it, I, I didn't say, uh, and, and both those things don't require people. They're very different to the model historically, but they still require people. Those people are doing different things. The firms that, that are advisors are actually being more people. They're being, if you look at accountancy historically, um, one of the big, one of the big um, negatives of, of a historic accountant would be lack of empathy, inability to have a personality, not understanding business properly, not having the personal skills to interrelate with a client. Okay? But uh, pretty labor-intensive, you know, if you get back into Dickensian times, very quill and pen analysis, you know, hundreds of pages analysis of this, that, and the other. Uh, if you look at my business or the, the, the way the business will go, business will go, you will end up with uh, probably proportionally less people, but those people will be better people, if you sort of mean, more intelligent, higher skilled people. What are those people doing? They're customer facing. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get AI to do that. AI can't look at you and go, hey, Ben Eltham's a good bloke. I should, I should. He would like to work with me. Yes, that's a good idea. I'll go and ask my computer whether that's a good idea or not. You and I get on because we get on. We didn't get on because of technology. We're we safe. are now using technology to make our business greater by using our relationship to fuel that, aren't we? We are. There's one other thing that I, I'm going to mention. It actually leads on quite nicely um, that we agree about the, uh, the human touch and it's a very 2019 thing, this, and again, uh, an article that was uh, written by a guy called Peter Evans this week. And he, he talks about mental health um, and mental health mm. from a business point of view. Uh, and he mentioned in the article about the there's a watershed moment for the Lloyds Banking Group in 2011 when they actually gave their, the boss then of the group time off for mental health reasons. And it was kind of unheard of. In, in that level of business at that time. Uh, eight years have, has passed and we've, we've moved on a lot. And there, there are more than 200 companies now, including the likes of... Uh, I think Santander might have done that as well. Yeah, I think that's so. That's where their Spanish MD. 
that it, a lot yeah. of companies since then have, have followed suit. But mm. there's more than 200 companies now, including RBS, uh, likes of Tesco's, that have signed up to the mental health at work mm. commitment. Uh, if, and if you don't know what this is, it's basically a framework for employees uh, to promote for employers to promote staff well-being, uh, which is backed by uh, lots of charities. Uh, but the interesting stat in this article was uh, last year, 17.5 million pounds worth of sick days were taken off relating to poor mental health um, and it, I thought it was a really interesting point especially as we've just talked about the fact that humans uh, will always uh, be needed and, and the chairman of Barclays UK uh, who's Ian Cheshire uh, said that we need to create uh, the right environment so that we can keep people at work uh, when they do have and will have in this day and age uh, challenges we, we've talked about this in the podcast already when we talked about the differences perhaps between 1985 and 2019 mm-hmm. just wanted to get your opinion on dealing with very quickly and I know this will be a podcast on its own but dealing with mental health you even mentioned it in your talk today and how you deal with that as a, a CEO and how you look at your employees Aspen weight we've expanded massively over the last couple of years does that play a part in your thinking you know in this day and age everybody's got to have that emotional support how does that change the way you think as a boss um so um, a brutally honest assessment at a quick period, just to s- sum up how much I have changed. If we were to go back to, uh, I'm not quite sure how soon after, let's say four years after Aspen Week joined, uh, I fell out with one of my key employees who was nearly a family member because he was unable to get to work at nine o'clock consistently and it pissed me right off uh, and it got in my guts and I used to, and uh, th- what was interesting is we we had a lot of clients um, to the east and funnily enough if he had to go to Ringwood say he would get there pretty much on time but he wouldn't get to Bridgewater in the head office on time so every day he was there at three minutes past nine and this went on and on and on. I got more and more wound up about it, and the relationship deteriorated, and we ended up falling out. He used to sit in front of me with all these stats because he was a very clever lad, and he'd sit there and go, oh, "I'm a bit of a clever me. This, you know, I've built this, I've built that." And I just sat there and I said, "In the end, I said, you know, I don't care because in here, pointing at my guts, I, I don't, I, you know, all I see is problem. All I see is you not turning up at nine o'clock, and I can't cope with it." So uh, we ended up. He left. Um, I actually did say sorry to him afterwards, not necessarily because, you know, because probably what I did was quite conventional, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's late unre- every day. It's not unreasonable to expect someone to get to work at nine o'clock. Um, whereas now, if you contrast how far I've moved on, to show empathy with your question, uh, without mentioning names, uh, so for instance, one of my employees, who I think a lot of, who hasn't worked for me for very long, lives 40 miles away. Uh, most of the journey is on the motorway. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that motorway and West Country Fridays equals problem. <laughs> so this is how far I've moved on. When I interviewed her, I said, I don't want you to come to work on a Friday. She said, why would you, why would you want that? Because I said, I'd never want to put that... F- that doubt in your mind that you want to work for me so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that negative away 
by saying you can work at home one day a week. So that's pretty progressive, isn't it? Very, yeah. So I, I have several times recently been incredibly flexible with a person because I want to show empathy with them. As far as I'm concerned, if I can get a great person to work for me and they want to work 11 o'clock to 8, then I'd say yes. That's how far removed Paul is today from the person that fell out with his mate. <laughs> and definitely definitely a topic for another podcast because there's so much you can uh, explore there. The last thing I wanted to mention, and it, it's just really a thought because I, I read it in an article again this week and I thought it was fascinating for today. It was uh, Bounce Ping Pong. As, uh, <laughs> bear with me on this. Uh, it's raised $15.4 million, um, to be able to open uh, a branch in America of a new bingo concept. And I love this. It's called High Jingo and it's high-tech bingo it's described as a cross between who wants to be a millionaire, the X Factor, and a rock concert. And it's basically, uh, the chief executive said, people are now looking for more I'm than... I'm intrigued where this is going. People are now looking for more than a two-dimensional experience when they go out, um, partly uh, driven by social media. So that's why we've come up with this idea uh, to disrupt the market. And today's talk would, was called Disrupt or we'll Be, be Disrupted. disrupted. Yeah. And that... Brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. There was a link there somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that made sense to Ben. So that's uh, yeah. That's, so um, that's very interesting today. So it's been a very interesting week, and um, not very, recently it's been it's been increasingly difficult for me to decide what record to play on our podcast. But this week, um, I felt quite um, early on that uh, there was a particular song that I wanted to play. So uh, this week we're we're playing out with "I Am I Said" by Neil Diamond. Um, I know that uh, my great friend, the, t- the mean teen, loves um, Neil Diamond, uh, so uh, she'll be pleased anyway, and she's just joined us, so uh, uh, that'll be true. I, I just think um, he just has such a uh, distinct and unique voice, a wonderfully deep voice, uh, sings full of uh, passion and emotion, I think, as comes over in his, in his words. And what a great, what a great uh, lyric, you know. There was nobody there, not even a chair. Uh, and I love the, um, I love the uh, the New York and uh, the New York and Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles is fine, but it's not home. New York's home, but it's not fine no more. I mean, that's it's, it's just so uh, to me. You know, I just love great lyrics, and I, just, I find that really touching. That New York's home, but it's not fine no more. Yeah, I am, I said. So, One of my absolute favourites, Neil Diamond. It's such a shame that he, he won't be touring anymore. And I actually went to a Neil Diamond tribute concert a couple of months ago uh, where I live over in Reading at the Hexagon Theatre. So uh, really good choice today. Paul, thank you. Uh, as always, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done already. Uh, like our channels. £2,000 a month. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and we'll see you again next week. Here's the Thanks, track. Man. Sun shines most of the time And the feeling is laid back Palm trees grow and rents are low But you know keep thinking about Making my way back Well I'm New York City born and raised But nowadays I'm lost between two shores 